So, has anybody noticed that the world seems to be getting a little bit crazier and crazier by the day? Sometimes by the hour. And if you're watching the news, well, sometimes like every 30 seconds. Um, but did you know the church has the cure for all the problems in the world? Whether that be the economy, whether that be um, racial injustice, whether that be COVID, did you know the church has the answer? for every th single issue. Those are the big ones, right? Those are, um, but there's a bunch of little problems, right? And the church has the answer. Why? Because Jesus is in the church. We are his body, right? I'm pretty sure where his body is, that's where Jesus is, right? It's kind of weird if you go somewhere without your body. I don't think that's possible, but um, Jesus is in this place. And I just want to let you know that what I'm preaching today you already have on the inside of you. If you just believe it, you will see yourself acting on this. This may seem like, a, oh my goodness, I don't know if I can do that. No, you can. Because like the third song says, I am who you say I am. Jesus already declared you can do these things. You just got to get in this word and you have to believe it. Amen? So let's dig in. Let's go to Luke chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 25 through 37. So turn your physical pages over, open it up in your Bible app. Um, let's go to Luke 10, 25 through 37. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. <clears throat> so it says, One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Probably not a good way to start out your day, tempting the Lord. Um, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? And I like this next question. How do you read it? I think that's what I love about the Bible is that you can read something one time and get something, and then you can read it two days later and get something completely different. You know, we can get different interpretations from the same verse. So it's a good question. How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right! Exclamation mark, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. But the man wanted to justify his actions. Okay, apparently that wasn't good enough for him. So he asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? You can see him kind of sarcastically saying that. Who's my neighbor, Jesus? Is it Phil, right next door? Is it, you know, my grandma? You know, is it my cousin? Who is it? Who's my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead on the road. That sounds like a really bad day. Um, by chance, a priest came along. A priest came along. So this would be like a pastor in today's uh, world. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. Didn't even acknowledge him. Saw him and said, uh, I don't need to help him. That's messed up. Okay, what about the next guy? A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed on the other side. Wow. So two people who were in the scriptures daily, who read and saw what the expert said, 
what was the, you know, what must you do to inherit internal, eternal life? They knew that, and they did nothing. Interesting. Let's see what the third person does. And then a despised Samaritan, not just a Samaritan, but a despised Samaritan came along and also passed by, oh, excuse me, no, he didn't do that, came along, and when he saw the man, this is what he did. He felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. Wow. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was the neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits, Jesus asked. And what is our reply? The you can say that. What's your, what, do you, what do you think? The Samaritan. Good. That's why, that's why we're preaching on this today. Praise the Lord. Um, the man who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. I like how you didn't even call him the Samaritan. He just said, yeah, the one who showed him mercy. The one who showed him mercy. And before we continue, I want to tell you that, you know, two silver coins back in the day wasn't just like two quarters today. It was actually equivalent to a full two days of work. He gave, so imagine you giving somebody a full two days uh, worth of wages, your wages, for this person that you didn't know. That's what he did. And he said, I'll give you more if it costs more when I come back. So the title of my message is The Love Cure. The Love Cure. You might think, oh, I know all about love. Well, I doubt it. You know, God is love. Do we know everything about God? No. God is infinite. We're, we're going to be a million years from now in heaven, and we're still not even going to know a part of who God is. We'll know more than we know now, but there's always going to be a facet of God, an uh, interpretation of God, a, a, a side of God that we'll be learning about. Isn't that cool? That's how big he is. That's how grand he is. So some background on, a, on the Jewish-Samaritan relationship, because I think it's easy for us to read this story and not really grasp what this story means because, well, we didn't live back then. So a little background here. By the first century and most likely long ago before, uh, excuse me, most likely long before, both Jewish and Samaritan priests taught their people that it was sinful to have any contact with the other. Sinful. So it was a sin, technically, what they were preaching, what this man did, what the Samaritan did for this Jew. Um, Jews were to avoid the impure land of the Samaritans, and Samaritans were not to speak to Jews. In addition, Samaritans and the Jews fed their mutual hatred with insult and injury. So first, we're going to read about the insult. Jews called the Samaritans a herd, not a nation. They didn't even consider them a nation. They're just, they're a herd, like a herd of cows, a herd of pigs, you know, a herd of horses. A widely used Jewish proverb stated that a piece of bread given by a Samaritan is more unclean than swine's flesh. Wow. So for those of you who don't know what a swine is, that's a pig. So if you were pretty much given a piece of food from a Samaritan, that was considered more unclean than a pig's flesh. Wow. That's messed up. 
Sometime early in the first century, Samaritans threw human bones in the temple of Jerusalem on the day of Passover. This hideous act, according to the Jews, defiled the sanctuary, making it impossible to celebrate the most important feast of the year. Now, back then, you know, everybody, all the Jews came from where they were at to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. So this act, pretty much, they, they couldn't celebrate Passover in the temple. So all their money they spent to get there, everything was for nothing because they couldn't even celebrate it in the temple. The worst insult that a Jew could use was to call someone a Samaritan, such as in John 8, 48, when the hostile Pharisees answered Jesus by saying, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and are possessed? So the Pharisees insulted Jesus by calling him a, a Samaritan. And then not only that, they're like, oh, and you're demon possessed. Wow. Jesus was severely insulted. So think of the worst insult that you, you could think of. Don't think too hard about it. Um, imagine somebody calling you that. That's what they called Jesus in that day. All right, what about injury? They actually hurt each other. Um, in 128 BC, the leader of Judea, John Hecris, completely destroyed the Samaritan capital, annihilated it, completely destroyed it. The Samaritans rebuilt it 100 years later and continued their blasphemous sacrifices. So it took them 100 year, years to rebuild their city because the Jews destroyed it. Samaritans were known to lie in wait for Jews traveling from Galilee to Jerusalem for the feast days. Sometimes these attacks would escalate unto death. In at least one instance, Rome had to intervene. As a result, Galileans, except for Jesus, used the longer route on the other side of the Jordan. I'm going to show you a picture here in a second. It was a really long route. I mean, we're talking about going, say you needed to go to like Rifle. You know, you could just take I-70 to Rifle. But say Samaria was like, you know, Debec. I'm not saying Debec Samaria, but <laughs> imagine that. But... Instead to avoid that, you went through like Montrose and like back there. I don't even know if you can go that way, but they made a way to go that way. That's, that's how out of the way they went to not talk to each other. You guys get that picture? All right. Um, the ruling Roman legions could hardly distinguish Jews from Samaritans, but that didn't keep the two groups from using Rome against each other. Some Samaritan men would enlist in the Roman auxiliary troops for a chance to legally harass their Jewish neighbors. Both groups are said to have bribed Roman soldiers to persecute the other. So they paid out of their own pocket Roman soldiers to go stir trouble with the other. That's, I mean, if you don't got any more, um, if you don't have time on your hands, if you have time on your hands to do that, you got issues. You are definitely proficient in nothing. And man, if you got enough money to blow off on that, then you need Jesus. Um, so pretty much, does that give you a picture of the hate between the two groups? So it's important to understand these facts because it makes the Good Samaritan story even more important. When you realize that what Jesus was saying, the Jews did not act like that. The Samaritans did not like that act like that towards each other. They hated each other. They hated each other. The man was kind and showed, en and showed an enemy mercy and compassion. An enemy. I, I put quotations because 
They just made themselves enemies. They really weren't enemies. That's how we need to be with people who don't think like us, agree with us, or even hate us. Right? We need to be like the, man, like the Good Samaritan. Because guess what? What if there's a, I don't know, whatever political party you're affiliated with, um, let's say you're a Republican and a Democrat is on the side of the road and they just got beat up and did what the story, what happened to this gentleman. Would you stay and would you help him or would you um, just pass him by, right? There's a lot of people that don't like our president right now. If he was beat up and on the side of the road, would you help him? What about the president before if you're on the opposite party, right? You have to think about these things because we, we make divisions for no reason among ourselves. Just because we disagree about something, that doesn't mean our love for other people stops. In fact, we're supposed to show love more to people who don't agree with us, who don't look like us, who live a lifestyle that we don't agree with, right? We're supposed to show love more to those people. I said this in the earlier service, but the Bible never said pray for your mama. Now, I'm not saying don't pray for your mama. Please pray for your mama. She put up with you. She had to go in the labor, have you. Man, pray for your mama. But the Bible does say pray for your enemies. And I think the Bible says that to tell us to do it. Bible knew we would pray for our mamas. God knew we'd pray for our mamas. But would we pray for our enemies? Uh, maybe not. I don't know. And see, I'm glad that I get to actually preach this now because you all can bear this with me. This week, you know, I'm, I'm reading and I'm studying and I'm like, Lord Jesus, I have messed up so many times. You know, how many times on social media when we're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they said that. Well, I got to say this. And then you keep scrolling, you're like, oh my gosh, Uncle Bob said that? Well, Uncle Bob can have a taste of this. Hmm. You know, it's funny, but we do it. Or we reshare something that we hope somebody else sees. You know, we don't reshare it for our purpose. We reshare it to, you know, say, man, I hope cousin Phil, I don't know why I'm using Bob and Phil today, but I have zero cousins that are Bob and Phil. But um, Phil, I hope cousin Phil sees this reshare of this because he definitely needs to read that article. Right? We do it in hoping, and then why? They probably don't even look at it. They probably don't even show up on their feed because that's all based on algorithms and stuff. And they probably blocked you. They probably don't even follow you. <laughs> it's funny, but how many times do we do this? And is that showing love? You know, I don't know. I, I can't say why you do the things you do, but God knows. God knows why you do certain things. You can't hide things from God. You know, FYI, he's God. You know, he knows your thoughts. He knows your intentions, right? But thank the Lord for the blood of Jesus. You know, all you have to do is repent, plead the blood, um, ask for forgiveness, and he will, right on the spot, forgive you. You're cleansed. You're washed clean. Amen? All right. So, um, lost my place here. Here we go. So what, did Jesus, what about Jesus? Did he practice what he preached? You already know the answer. Yeah. But let's look. John 4. John 4, verse 1 through 4, out of New King James. So he, he's the one who said this story, you know. Um, 
he told this story. So let's let's see what he did. Did he actually do what he said he would he do? Um, John 4, 1, there it is. It says, therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, because apparently they cared about that, um, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. Now, I always struggled with this scripture, this, excuse me, this next sentence, because technically it's not correct. He didn't have to go through Samaria. He just had to go the traditional route. But in the context he's saying, he's saying he needed to go. And what does that word need mean in the Greek word day? Greek word is day, D-E-I, meaning it is necessary. It must happen. So he, obviously he was feeling, he was getting a unction from the Holy Spirit. Hey, you need to go through Samaria today. So so that made him say, I must go through Samaria. I'm sure his disciples weren't crazy about that. They're probably thinking like, oh man, hopefully we don't get you know, beat up. Hopefully they don't come out of nowhere and smite us. I don't want to be smited today. Hopefully they don't give us poisonous food, right? They were crazy. Like, you know, hopefully they don't poison this apple I'm about to eat, you know, or this water. They're like, okay, Jesus, whatever you say. And you know the rest of the story, he goes up to Samaria and he talks to a woman at the, at the well. And the reason that story is so significant is for one, it was unheard of. For one, for a Jew to go up through Samaria. Two, he was talking to a Samaritan. Three, the Samaritan was a woman. Now women were of lower social class in that day, but Jesus didn't care. He was called to that woman. The Holy Spirit led him to that woman. You know, he'll leave the 99 for the one. And guess what? Because he did that, because he obeyed, um, they had revival in that town. They actually begged him to stay for a couple days. And he preached and taught in an area where he wasn't supposed to be. Right? Right? So let's, uh, let's show up that picture so I can show you real quick how, um, where Samaria was, is. So down here is Judea, like it's off the screen, but it's like right here if you can see that. So Samaria was like obviously like right here and Galilee was right here. So Jesus, the route he took was this red line and that's the town he stopped in, Sakaar. The alternate routes were all the way along the coastline of the Mediterranean or you had to cross the Jordan, which was like the Colorado River. Um, and then cross it again by the Sea of Galilee to get to where you wanted to be in, Gal in Galilee. Which that added a couple days to your journey. That wasn't convenient, but it was all because they hated each other. And Jesus said, no, nah, I'm gonna go the quick route this time. And he did. And they had revival there and he listened. How many times have we not listened to the Holy Spirit because it wasn't convenient for us? or we didn't like who the person he was telling us to talk to was, right? You're like, ah, oh, Jesus, not today. I mean, what if Rachel was, um, this morning, didn't uh, listen to the Holy Spirit and talk about church? All she said was, I'm going to church. What if she hadn't said that, right? What if she'd been disobedient? What if she's like, nah, bro, Jesus, I'm just here to get my coffee and leave. You know, something that's been nice about 
the lockdowns, it's, it's forced us to not be as busy, you know? Um, I think a lot of times we've blamed our busyness for our lack of doing the things that are most important, for caring for things that are most important, the God things, right? It's easy to, I'm, I've done it, you know? What's the first thing uh, you answer when people ask, how, how you been, how's it going? Busy. I haven't been able to say that. What have you been doing? Actually, we have been busy. The church has been, was more busy during that couple months than any other time that I've been here. But it was hard for me to, to say that. Couldn't like say, well, kind of busy-ish. You know, after work, what did you do? Nothing. I was getting proficient in nothing. You couldn't say busy. You had to just say, well, like you. And I think it forced us to analyze the most important things in life, right? Putting God first, spending time with our family, right? You know, God will make turn anything around for our good if we let him. It's not just the good things that get turned around for good. It's the bad things, the inconvenient things, right? All right. So pretty much what am I trying to say here? The only cure for all the issues in the world today is a church walking in and demonstrating the love of Christ. You know, the world is begging for an answer. They may never admit it, but they're begging for an answer. What's the answer? The church. Because why? Because Jesus is in the church. It's me and you. I was talking to Sheila, our coffee shop leader, the other day, and I said, you know, when Miss Carla a couple weeks ago said, to um, get off social media for a week. Uh, I did, because um, I, I was getting to a point where I couldn't take everything that was going on. You know, we weren't, take, we weren't made to intake that much information every day, multiple times a day. We weren't made to do that. And so I got off, man, that week was awesome. I was like so free without it because I wasn't thinking about everything going on in the world. Because for me, when a problem arises, I immediately go into how can I fix this problem? Well, there's some, there some big problems in our world in case anybody has um, noticed. And I was going through my brain, okay, well, how can I fix COVID? How can I fix um, racial injustice? How can I fix um, the economy? I don't know why I'm, I was thinking that. It's just who I am. I see a problem, I'm going to try to fix it. And I felt the Lord say, it's not yours alone to fix. You need to do your part where you're called. Make a difference where you're at and be the change where you're at. And if everybody is the change where they're at, we'll see change in this whole world. Why? Because the churches, we're everywhere not just in this country, but other countries throughout the world. And if we all did our part, focused on our part, focused on our neighbors, focused on our Samaritans, focused on our family, we would make real change. But it starts with us, right? It starts with Faith Heights Church. It starts with other churches. It starts with the church doing their part, making a difference where they're at, not being afraid to look, um, look people in the eye and invite them to church not being afraid to have a conversation with somebody, you know, about Jesus, not being afraid to pray for somebody, not being afraid to talk to the cousin you don't agree with. Cause last time you guys were sitting around the fire, you guys almost threw each other in the fire because you were arguing about politics, right? If we're not going to be the, we got to be the church with who we're around. 
our family, our friends, our coworkers, the grocery store, the person who cuts you off in traffic. You don't go and speed by him and give him the bird, you know? <laughs> Trying to keep it PG here. But you are like, no, I don't do that. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Jesus saw you last week. Amen? <laughs> it's, never mind. Nope. I could tell stories about other people in here, but I'm not going to because I'm walking in love. Praise the Lord. All right. So how did the church respond to the Samaritans? Did they follow what Jesus did? Did they follow his example? Let's look in Acts 8, verse 5. And then once we read verse 5, we're going to drop down to verse, verses 14 and 15. All right. So how did the church respond? dun da 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 Okay, so context of this scripture is um, the church started to get heavily persecuted, and so they had to disperse. They could no longer stay where they lived, so they had to disperse. So Philip, he's like, well, can't be at my house right now. Might as well go to Samaria. Um, don't know where else to go. And it says, Philip went down to the, city, to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. So he went somewhere he wasn't supposed to go to people that, didn't he, that he probably knew weren't going to accept him. He's like, ah, I'm going to go there and I'm going to preach Jesus. Okay. Um, long story short, they loved Philip. They loved the gospel. And so in verse 14, when the, when the apostles who were in Jerusalem heard that Samaria, Samaria had received the word of God, they did what? They sent Peter and John to them who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Wow. So what was the church, church's response? They, they responded by sending their best. Peter and John were their best. They were the two uh, foremost leaders in the church at the time. And they weren't too big for their britches to go down and preach and talk to the people in Samaria. Are we giving people our best? We probably are giving people our best who like us, right? Who love us. It's easy to give our best for, you know, people who really like us, who are on our side. But are we giving people our best who don't agree with us? Who don't look at things the way we look at things? Who probably don't even like us? Because maybe they don't like our cologne or perfume or something, you know? That, that one coworker, immediately your guys' minds went to somebody. You know, how do you treat that one coworker who likes to make, uh, make life difficult for you? Right? Galio, don't be thinking of me. Um, huh. You know, it, but it's so easy to, to treat others the way we'd like to be treated who love us. But the Bible says pray for our enemies. Treat everybody the way you would like to be treated. Everybody. Everybody. Doesn't matter what they look like, doesn't matter what they smell like, doesn't matter where they live, doesn't matter what job they have, doesn't matter, you know, where in the social class they're at, doesn't matter what maybe lifestyle they're living that we know, right, to us is contrary to the word of God. We can still love and respect people without agreeing and following them, right? We can't let the world creep into the church and the in the aspect of where we treat people bad because they don't look at things the way we look at things. That's worldly. That's demonic. That's not for the church. We shouldn't be 
we shouldn't be acting like that, amen? Am I saying not stand up for what we believe, not stand up for what's right and vote and pray? Absolutely not. That doesn't mean go making a scene about it and yeah, arguing with your cousin and throwing each other into the fire about it. There's a way to love. And maybe you're like, well, I don't know how to do that. Read the Bible. Jesus talked to people all the time who didn't agree with him. All the time. Look at how he acted. Look at how he treated people. Amen? All right. Um, last, I want to go to Galatians 5.22. Are you guys getting something today out of this? You guys may be thinking, wow, I don't know if that's me. I don't know if I can do that. And that's why I said at the beginning, you can, because he said you could do this. You, he said you could walk in love. He said that you are like Jesus on this earth, on the inside. You have to believe it, and it'll show up on the outside. Amen? All right, Galatians 5.22 out of the New King James Version. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Why don't we say that together? Ready? One, two, three. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Yeah, there's more. Sorry, I should have put the others, but that's okay. The fruit of the Spirit will produce an atmosphere where the gifts of the Spirit can flourish. That's my point of going to that is I think a lot of times we focus a lot on the gifts of the Spirit, you know, like healings and miracles. And yes, we need to. The Bible says earnestly desire those gifts, right? But it's got to come from a heart of love. Because it's easy because we live, you know, in this body, this flesh really likes the spectacular. This flesh really likes the flashy. And miracles can be flashy, right? And it's easy for us to desire the big before working on the root, right? The Bible says, if you can say to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, but have not love, it's nothing. It doesn't mean anything. Faith works by love, right? So what if you can speak in tongues? If you don't have love, you're just a noisy symbol. Ouch. You're just a noisy symbol. You're just making noise. We have to have love. Everything we do comes from a heart of love. Everything. And if we're not walking in love, we open the door to the enemy in our lives. Maybe some bad things have happened in your life. The first thing you need to check up on is your love walk. First thing. How are you treating people? How are you treating your loved ones? How are you treating people who have done you wrong? Check up on your love walk. Because the Lord doesn't make exceptions for certain situations, right? The Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What, you, what you're going through, what you have gone through, somebody else is going through it in the world. You're not the only person going through that, right? Um, sometimes the greater miracle is treating a Samaritan the same way Jesus would. Like I said, sometimes we desire the big, you know, spectacular um, miracles but the greatest miracle i believe is showing love to somebody who doesn't love you back i mean isn't that how jesus said the world would know the world would know we are his disciples by what our love for one another not how many people you can heal not how many people you can raise from the dead i'm not discounting that 
at all. We need to see more of that stuff, right? And I believe we will be seeing more. But until we come at it from a standpoint of love, I don't think we'll see those things because it starts with love. It starts and ends with love because God is love. God is love. Everything will start and end with love. Everything, right? I mean, Christ loved us so much that when we were his enemies, we were his enemies. He came and died for us. We chose to go our own way, right? Adam and Eve chose to go his own way, and that kind of set us up for where we are today. But he still, Jesus still chose to die for us because he loved us that much. Amen? I mean, I think sometimes we just need to go back to love. We don't, we don't know everything we need to know about love, right? We've probably had a few moments this week where we haven't walked in love. But that's why I want to encourage you and encourage you to, to do these action steps that I'm about to say. Because I believe if you do this, you will grow in love. And it starts with me. i got to start doing this too. Um, first, read 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8 every day. Read it in different translations. It's easy. I, I'm going to be honest. I've, I've read them every day for periods of time. And then, and then I'm like, oh, I know that. I know that. Love is patient. Love is kind. And yet I don't even, haven't even mastered the first one, patience, long-suffering. But yet I know it, you know? It's like, no, 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 no. Just because you know something, that doesn't do anything for you. You have to apply what you know. And that's what wisdom is. Wisdom is not only knowing something, but it's applying that knowledge. It, right? All right, second thing. Pray and meditate on 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. And also Galatians 5 on the fruit of the Spirit. You're going to have to behold this in front of you because the more you have other things in front of you, the less you're going to be like this, right? You have to behold this. You have to say this over your lives. And that's the, that's the third thing. Make positive declarations over your life saying you are walking in love. You are doing 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. You are walking in the fruit of the Spirit. Amen? And then maybe you're just like, Oh, I don't know if I can do that. I just messed up royally on Friday with that coworker again. Guess what? Ask God to help you. He will help you. Um, you know, the, the guy in the Bible who was asking Jesus, Lord, help my unbelief, because he was believing for a miracle, and Jesus could see that he was, he was not believing, but the guy said, Lord, help my unbelief. You know, that's the greatest prayer you can pray if that's where you're at. That's not a lack of faith. That's actually a lot of faith. And that's humility, right? Humility. Being able to say, Lord, I need your help. I need your help loving the Samaritans in my life. I need your help, you know, making sure that I don't blast people on social media. I need help, you know, looking for opportunities to show love to people in my everyday life. Show me, help me. And he will. You know, he desires to help you with every area of your life. Every area of your life. But we have to ask. We have to ask, right? So why don't we go ahead and stand up just for a moment.
I just want to say you can do this. You can walk in love, the God kind of love, agape kind of love. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. He who is in the world is doing a lot of bad stuff right now. But you know, we're greater than him. And we're greater in unity. We can do a lot of things together. You know, and as the church, we, we shouldn't be um, bashing each other, right? We shouldn't be um, talking down to each other because Satan's doing, he's doing a pretty good job right now of dividing the world, dividing the country. He's trying to divide the church, but not this church, right? Not the churches in Grand Junction, Colorado. And I say in Jesus' name, not the churches in the United States because the cure for, for all, everything is the love cure, the love of the Father. Amen. The love of the Father in us and us showing that. Do you know we are his ambassadors on earth? We are Christ's representatives on this earth. The only Jesus uh, somebody will see in your realm of living is you. You are the Jesus example to the people in your sphere.